Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. Delighted that you've joined us today. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Allen, and I'm thrilled to be here with you today as we investigate the one of my favorite topics, how to invest passively to live actively. Alex Brashears is a military spouse of 20 years, a chemistry professor, private lender, short-term rental owner and manager, and community builder in the real estate space. So Alex, take us off by telling us about an experience from your formative years that helped you to be the person you are today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I would say, yeah, I know you're a horse person. I'm a horse person as well. So I grew up in the barn, quite literally, anything from hunter jumpers to Appaloosas, everything in between. And one thing I always noticed was these people that had these really high-end horses, they were always involved in real estate in some capacity. They owned property management businesses or they owned rentals or whatever. One person actually owned a whole bunch of chopping plazas, those small chopping plazas in our area. And it was just kind of a recurring theme that always happened. Like, oh, well, if you're able to be at the barn in the middle of the day on a Wednesday and, you know, I talked to her and I asked, actually asked her that. I'm like, you know, what do you do for a living? I was probably 19 at the time. And I said, what do you do for a living that allows you to be at the barn in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week? And she's like, oh, my husband owns a whole bunch of commercial real estate. And I'm like, oh, there might be something to this. Well, yeah. Well, that's a good way to get introduced. Did any of them serve as a mentor for you or did they just plant the idea? It was a lot of idea planting. Being a Southerner and being very extroverted, I kind of found my way into a local RIA meeting, actually not too long after that, and just started making connections in a local RIA meeting. What do you do? What are the options? And after I got married, obviously I married into the military, they're eligible for a VA loan. So it wasn't too long after that, we bought our first house and I was speaking to the selling agent that we were using at the time. And I was like, hey, you know, at some point, this is not going to be our primary residence. We know we're going to live here for a little bit. It's going to be our starter home. And then we're going to turn around and rent it when we get stationed somewhere else. So we kept that in mind while we were looking for homes saying, hey, this is going to be the way we build wealth. Everybody I know owns real estate. So there's got to be something to that. And that was kind of our first foray into real estate. So you married into the military. And so you knew in doing that, that you were going to be moving from place to place to place to place. Whatever made you think that you could actually have a real estate business at the same time that you were moving all over the world? 
I would like to say I thought about that before I started investing in real estate, but I did not. Literally, that was the extent of the conversation was, I know I'm not going to live here for very long, so we're going to rent this out. Again, being a young 20-year-old, forethought and thinking that far ahead is not very common. And I'm not going to say I was the exceptional person that thought this at 20. But I would say it definitely opened my eyes to the possibility that, hey, I'm not going to be like everyone else because you know I'm not going to be able to stay in one market for five or 10 years and accumulate property. And this was 20 years ago. So this is when people were still faxing in loan applications. Whereas now I feel like, especially with COVID, it's become a lot more commonplace to invest remotely. And back then, you know, that was just like, nobody did that. If you lived in one area, that's where you invested. Very rarely did you invest outside a market you actively lived in. So I knew very early on, and especially after owning our first rental and having to move across the country, we learned very quickly how much that business model was not going to suit our lifestyle. Well, you are a big advocate of actually choosing the lifestyle. Maybe it's because you actually had to, but tell us how it is that a person fits a lifestyle, their personality, their time commitments, and their strengths into developing a real estate business. Absolutely. It, it all boils down to that in the end, because a lot of people are in real estate almost solely exclusively for the purpose of having some sort of financial independence. It's very rare that you're going to come across somebody who says, oh, I want to own 20 single family homes. Like That ultimately usually isn't their goal. They want what the 20 single family homes brings to them, or maybe that's the level of fulfillment. This is something my parents were never able to do, or my grandparents were never able to do. And now look, I have 20 houses. But a lot of times it's they want the financial implications of what having 20 single family homes do. So I would say it's really a matter figuring out what you truly want. And what we truly wanted was that geographical freedom and the financial freedom. And when you sit down and look at the various business models that are kind of most commonly available to people in real estate, it tends to be fix and flip, buy and hold, single family homes, maybe some duplexes, triplexes, quads. There's a new kind of, I want to say the newcomer in town is syndication, where you're kind of a partnership with a whole bunch of other people into a larger property, whether it's multifamily, commercial, industrial, whatever that looks like. And then the short-term rental thing is very popular right now. So people owning short-term rentals. And then I think there's this area that most people don't even know exists, but it's actually very important for real estate and that's private lending. So again, at one of these RIA meetings, never met a stranger, proper Southerner. And I got just chit-chatting with somebody and he happened to mention, he's like, oh, you know, you're in college right now. What are you studying? And I said, oh, I'm a chemistry major. And he said, oh, you must be good with numbers. I'm like, yeah, I'm in Calc 3 right now. I got letters. I graduated to where most of my math is letters instead of numbers. And he's like, well, he goes, have you ever thought of being a loan officer? And I'm like, Nope, honestly, not on my radar, never been on my radar. And then he said the magic words that every college student wants to hear. You can work your own hours. And I was like, okay, keep talking. Because, you know, I was in undergrad at the time and I had three science classes with three labs, much less everything else on my plate. And I was married and had a house and a rental and the whole nine yards. And it just turned out to be kind of a very important turning point in my life because I was exposed to the other side of the closing table. 
I got to see things from the perspective of somebody who's actually providing the capital for these deals. And he was walk the line between hard money and private money. He also lent out his own capital. And routinely, I worked in his office as well because I was back, you know, back in the day when you're actually like bringing checks to people to pay a bill. I was working in his office, handling a lot of that payment processing and taking checks physically to the bank. And the one thing I kind of always noticed, again, just talking to people, how's it going? What's going on? Whole nine yards is if the contractor ran off with half their deposit, they're on their fifth contractor in four months. If the tenant moved in and hasn't paid rent since, like none of that mattered because they were always at the building within that first week to pay the mortgage. And I was like, hmm, this is quite interesting because I was also in a landlord group at the time. And I'm going to these like landlord breakfasts and networking with other landlords. And like the same, again, that listening, that same story I kept hearing was they kind of keep their fingers crossed that the tenant pays. And then after that, it's keeping your fingers crossed for the next 29 days of the month that nothing breaks. And then you potentially will be able to walk away with 100 or $150 a door. And I'm like, I, I work in an office where this guy's making $700 to $2,700 a month, no matter what happens. And it's a very different experience seeing it from both sides of the closing table. So yes, that's very interesting. And most people going into real estate investing don't look at it from that perspective. They look at that as an entirely different field and an entirely different matter. In fact, most people don't even know that you can actually be the banker. And yes, live a very different kind of lifestyle. So that's how you started out, was working in this man's office. And so you saw that lending side of it. How did you get into that? I'm assuming you did get into that, right? Yes. I actually kind of, again, being in the military space around military families, it tends to be kind of a small community, especially the community my husband is in. So everybody kind of knows everybody. And in the past, I had kind of passively invested as a JV partner with some other active duty service members, you know, wherever we happen to be stationed at the time. It was more accidental than intentional. I'll put it that way. He was just bumping to somebody. Oh, you're in the military and you do real estate. We should be friends. <laughs> but when COVID hit beginning of the spring of 2020, it shut the whole world down. And it, Virginia was no exception to that. I remember the last kind of quote unquote normal day I had was Friday the 13th in March. It's like, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> but that's just what happened. The whole world shut down. And I love my husband to death, but he's not an extroverted person. If I get like, you know, 10 words out of him in a single sentence, it's like, okay, that's a chatty Cathy day for him. So I was losing it. I was going buggy. So Zoom was still kind of a new entity in a lot of people's lives. And I happened to attend my first virtual networking event on Zoom. And I just literally ran into somebody, again, another military person. They were doing real estate in my market. And we just kind of naturally hit it off. And I said, well, let's connect offline, you know, outside of this meeting and we'll chat. I'd love to just meet another person doing real estate because I hadn't lived in Virginia that long at that time and got on the phone with him. And he's like, oh, you know, these the hard money lenders sent me a message today that they're not going to be able to fund my loan because they're closing their doors. They, I mean, there's a lot of hard money lenders that just literally stopped lending very early on in COVID because they didn't know how to price in the risk of what was going on. It was unprecedented. And I was like, well, tell me about this deal. Just trying to get more information. And it just, again, happy accident turned out that I would have been happy to fund this deal. It was something that it was in my backyard. It was a property that I liked. I got along with this guy pretty well. He had tons and tons of real estate experience. I called some other references that he had in real estate. They all had great things to say about him. And I said, all right, I'll figure it out. I'll just take the step. I'll figure it out. I'll say yes, figure it out later. 
And so I told him, I was like, you know what? I was like, if you can give me like a week and a half, two weeks to get everything set up as far as the legal stuff, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do this loan. And it actually worked out better for him. He went back to the seller, originally talking about an extension. And then the seller ended up offering to carry the first mortgage for him. So the only thing he actually ended up needing was money for the renovation and some holding costs for a few months until the property was sold. So it just happened to work out better for everybody involved. The seller got to get more money versus the way they were buying it before. The investor got a deal he otherwise would have missed out on. And I made some interest money earned on the money I deployed for the loan. And so that was your first lending experience, huh? It was. So it took you from, I guess, your introduction to that side of the business until you actually got into it. What, it took you about 20 years to get there? Yeah, it was a product of, we were, some places we were only living for three months. Other, you know, the longest I'd lived anywhere up until recently was about 22 months. And it was just a lot of chaos for a lot of years. So investing was not forefront in our mind. It was literally like, okay, we need to find a house because we're moving in two weeks. But now that he's hit 21 years, he's almost at 22 years of service now. So we're kind of in that twilight of his career where we're going to be making that transition from a military family to a veteran family. And what does that look like for us? And that's when we started really having these very intentional conversations. Where do we want to live? How do we want to live? What do we want our quote unquote retirement years to look like, even though we'll be in our middle 40s when he actually pulls the plug on the whole military lifestyle? What do we want that to look like? And that's when we started getting very intentional with our decisions and our investing. Well, you know, I don't think that's really particularly unusual for a lot of people. We spend a lot of time preparing for our careers, working in our careers, establishing ourselves in our careers, and that in and of itself is intense, time-consuming, and it just takes a whole lot of our attention. And even though we may have an interest in real estate investing, it can take us 20, 25 years to actually really get that plan in place and really start doing that. So I don't think you're at all unusual in that. Would you say that investing is a long journey, so don't focus too heavily on the destination? Talk to us about that long journey. Yes. Financial independence, unless you win the lottery this weekend, it's going to be a long journey. Real estate is really about getting wealthy slowly. People will invest in real estate to kind of help offset their taxes or get that passive income or have some opportunity to allow the capital to grow potentially exponentially. Because if you think about just buying a rental, for example, you put your 20% down. If you're buying a, a turnkey rental, you put your 20% down. But if the market appreciates seven, eight, nine, last year, it's crazy, 12, 15% in some markets, you're not having that appreciation just on the 20% you put down. It's on the whole purchase price of the property. And then obviously each year you're compounding that appreciation and value. So I think it just presents a very unique way to earn money, but it's going to take a while. Time is definitely going to be in your favor. So if you can start early, and then even if you just start with one, just build up equity in that property through the amortized loan is paid down or the appreciation for it. Maybe you do some forced appreciation on the property by improving and expanding it, whatever that looks like. If it's a commercial property, raising rents, and it's just kind of sit and wait. Hopefully it's sit and wait instead of sit and solve a whole bunch of problems, (laughs) It's sit and wait. And it has to be something you enjoy, something that's going to keep you interested. And for example, for us being a long-term landlord, uh, we hated it. It got to the point like every single time our phone rang, it was like, oh, what now? 
because it was just we had problem tenants. The property management company didn't screen them at all. They were just kind of the first people applied and property management company said, sure. And it was just problem after problem after problem. And we knew this was not going to be a long-term strategy. We did not want this kind of brain damage in our life. So that's where I say, you know, really understanding that you're in this for the long haul. You're not going to buy one property, fix it up, flip it, and then you're just kind of done. I mean, it might be, it might be the deal of the year, but it tends to be something that you're going to have to be involved with even a little bit on a daily basis. It's going to be, you're going to make these little small decisions on a daily basis, usually centered around the asset. Even if you're lending, you're just having the borrower kind of check in, hey, the flooring got installed today. We're waiting on the windows to show up. Just quick little things. But if that sort of thing disturbs you or like, oh, I don't want to hear about this, then that's going to be a long journey. Your loan is out for 12 months, for example, and you have that kind of input coming in. You're just like, oh my God, will you please just stop giving me these updates? You know, whatever that, whatever the nuisance is, it's going to cause you some frustration. It's going to call, I call it mental brain damage. It's just going to cause you some mental brain damage because you're not enjoying yourself. So it's really about what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy doing? Who do you enjoy working with? What type of people do you enjoy working with? And is that something that you could see yourself doing for years? Because it's really going to take years. Yes, it does. And some very good advice there. You better enjoy what you're doing because life just really is not that long. Pretty short, actually. Well, talk to us about this abundance mindset that is open to change and collaborativeness. Yes. So that was kind of thrust upon me by military life. I, like many people, grew up in the same town I was born in. Didn't really travel around very much. Honestly, I had never been west of Atlanta because we have family up from Florida to New England area, up and down the whole Eastern 95 corridor. So west, we had never traveled west until I got married and met my husband's family in the Midwest. It was just, that was our life. We, we lived in Florida. We had great beaches. We loved Disney World. We went to go see family up in New York, you know, a couple times a year. And that was that was life. That's what we did. And it just wasn't a lot of change. And then when you marry the military and you kind of have someone else dictating where you're going, when you're going there, how long you're going to be there, and then changing their mind about that at the last minute, any of those details, you have to learn to roll with it. At some point, you just got to sit back and laugh and go, all right, you know what? This is what's going on because there's no point in really fighting it. And I think a lot of people come from that kind of almost that victim talk where like the military made me move. The military made us go here. The military only allowed us to stay here X amount of months. And it's like, no, like I can 100% choose to not go with my spouse. In fact, my spouse currently lives in Italy and I decided not to move there because I'm just like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm perfectly happy where I am right now. So the military wasn't making me do anything. I was choosing to do that to keep my family together. And I think a lot of people, even on the civilian side, you know, they'll, they'll use work as an excuse. You know, I can't do this because of my job. Well, okay, well, your job isn't limiting you. You're choosing to not participate because you feel the repercussions of participating are going to have more of a negative impact on your job than a positive impact on your job. So I, I think it really starts with having that conversation. And that's a hard pill to swallow to realize that you've kind of been your own saboteur for years and years and years. You've carried around this level of resentment, which is literally about nothing. And I blamed the military for a lot of things for a lot of years. And looking back, I just like, oh my God, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's like, you know, how many other things could I have done if I were not walking around mad at the military for the last 10 years? That drains a lot of energy to carry around resentment. It takes us a long time to learn that though. Well, 
tell our viewers and listeners how they can get in touch with you. You have a lot to share with people, several years of experience in real estate on both sides of the coin. So how can we get in touch with you? Yes, there's lots of ways. So I run an educational Facebook group around private lending and passive investing in real estate. It's called Private Lending Lessons. I'm in there every day. We have daily discussions, weekly educational events, monthly networking events. I'm also on LinkedIn. So my URL actually is invest passively to live actively. The lens I kind of look at the world through now is not so much what is this going to cost me in dollars, but what is this going to cost me in time? And that's really how I'm looking at things nowadays is you know how much time is this going to take up in my life? And am I willing to devote that level of time as opposed to dollars? Because I think a lot of real estate investors look at that the other way because I see it with fix and flip investors. So they'll say, oh, I'm going to do all this work myself. And I'm like, well, don't you have a job and small children and a wife at home? And you're like, yeah, okay. But one of these things is not going to exist at the end of this three-month flip because you know either you have lost the house because you haven't worked on it. The kids are going to not know who you are. Your wife's not going to be very happy. So, so I would say that's probably the key takeaway. Look at things in terms of time as opposed to dollars. Good suggestion there. Well, Alex, I've got one last question for you. What's going on with you and the horse world? Oh, I am on this nat- this amazing quest. I have kind of the carrot in my life is I want to make a certain amount of truly passive income. And when I do that, that will be- give me the kind of green light to go ahead and get a horse. I'm probably going to board because I travel a lot. and I don't, again, keeping with that geographical freedom, I want the ability to kind of pick up and go. And horses, if you have horses on your own property, you aren't picking up and going anywhere. <laughs> uh, so... Not unless you have an amazing staff. Right. (laughs) So so the plan is by spring, if everything kind of goes as planned, that forecasted by spring, I will hit that number and I will be having a a big draft cross in my life by spring. My kind of addiction of choice is usually dressage. So be doing some dressage shows potentially next summer. I'm very excited about that. Uh, Draft mix. What mix with what? Something like thoroughbred, quarter horse, Andalusian, something just... I like the draft width, but I don't like the draft height, if that makes sense. Like, I don't want to be 17 hands in the air. That's a little much for me. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I, I had a 17-3 thoroughbred, and I absolutely loved it. It was, uh, it was fantastic. He was a fantastic horse. The love of my life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would much rather be closer to the ground, but really walk, because I'm pretty tall. So I still need something that's going to take up my leg, especially in, in dressage. So the last horse I had was 15-1, but he was 1,600 pounds because he was super, super wide. Wow. He was actually yeah. a, a Percheron quarter horse cross. Mm. Well, that's what I currently have in my life is a, a draft cross. She was a rescue, so I have no idea what the rest of her is. And the only reason I know she's a draft cross is because she has draft characteristics. But she's about 15-1 or two. Yep. A uh, small but sturdy little thing. Well, Alex, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.